Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. When he was on the road to Damascus, he had an amazing amazing testimony of how God intersected his life. And Paul spent the rest of his days telling everyone what God did in transforming him into the man that he was. It wasn't a transformation that took place over a couple of months or a couple of years, but in fact, most scholars tell us that when Paul went to the Arabian desert and following that, it was about 17 years between the time when Saul was killing Christians and Paul became the missionary to the early church and the greatest apostle that this world has ever seen. When I look at the book of Philippians, and if you would today turn to, if you have your Bibles with you, maybe you have your smartphone, I love both ways of doing it. I like the actual Bible that can be in my hand because I can write notes on it, underline it. And how many of you know that uh, I also can use big glasses to read it because it's really small print. I want to thank you first of all before we begin because this really is a testimony of the thanks that the Apostle Paul gives to his favorite church, which is the church at Philippi. There's no other church that he had such an amazing relationship with. And it's woven throughout the fabric of of these letters. But the one thing I, I look at this morning is not only the importance of joy, but it's also the importance of giving thanks. We're in a season of Thanksgiving, and I want to make sure, in fact, Joey wanted me to uh, pick the title, The Attitude of Gratitude. Because how many of you know we live in a culture today that oftentimes we seem to complain about an awful lot? So this Thanksgiving... We go over to my sister-in-law's house. We have a big spread. We've had anywhere from 30 people, probably over 60. And Uncle Ron, he makes a couple of succulent turkeys. And then Aunt Shani, she makes, uh, is it green? I don't know if, Rob, is it green beans or yams? or One of my kids makes yams. My wife and I, we make the stuffing. Uh, We still have this debate after 42 years of marriage. I like it with a little more spice. (laughs) She likes it plainer. And uh, so we go through this. We make the the, the stuffing, and it's everybody brings all their things. One of the things we always do when we started with our kids, and I don't know if you do this or not, but we go and ask the kids, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? Now, if I were to ask you that today, we would, you know, and sometimes I did this in chapel this last week, 
with our kids at school. And I want you to think about Thanksgiving in a way that maybe that we patronize it oftentimes. Like we almost dumb it down to our kids' level and we say, now, Junior, what are you thankful for this year? You know, Thanksgiving is not an afterthought. Thanksgiving is not just being thankful is a exercise in teaching our children proper manners. It's not something that hopefully my wife and I taught our kids that we raise our children that they learn to say a patronizing pat answer uh, when in fact Thanksgiving is one of the most central and essential concepts of spiritual understanding in all of the New Testament. It's not just an exercise in being nice. I'm a thankful person. No. There is a depth of spirituality to thanksgiving and praise that we need to not only recognize, but be reminded to continually weave it into not only our attitude of gratitude, but into our speech, into our actions, in the way that we view one another. Merriam-Webster defines gratitude as that which is a thankfulness for someone who has given us a personal benefit of something that has happened to us. Gratitude in the Bible is something, a derivative thereof, is mentioned over 157 times. It means not necessarily just to be thankful, but this is, I, I found out this week in, in my study that most of the words concerning thanksgiving and gratitude that are in the Old Testament center around the concept of praise and adoration that is given to God. So when we express our thanksgiving, when we express our gratitude, the center point of that, the focal point of that is God himself. And if we make the Lord the center point of our praise and worship, we begin to enter into this zone of what it means to spiritually be thankful to God and appreciative of every small and great thing that happens in our life. When I look at gratitude that's expressed in the Bible in the New Testament, or thanksgiving, it usually means centered upon a person who has done a favor for you or someone who has done something, a, uh, you know, helped you take out the trash or paint your house. It is towards an action that's been exhibited by another person. And I want you to think about those two facets because they balance out this context of thanksgiving. In the Old Testament, it's based upon the person of who God is. When we give praise and adoration and thanks, it's towards the one who is our creator, our Father God. That's why worship on a Sunday morning is so important. It's not merely going through the preliminaries of saying, oh boy, this is a nice song service. You and I have the opportunity to express 
to the one who has made us, the one who has formed us in his image, the one that has designed us and our families, we get to honor him with our words and our deeds and our actions and our hands lifted up. And so you see, it's not just going to a Raiders football game where we lift our hands to say, go team. We're here to express and give our heartfelt gratefulness in regards to all that God has done in our life. The Bible tells us in Colossians 3.16, and I'm going to be jumping around to some different scriptures today. It says, let this message of Christ dwell among you richly. And teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Colossians 3.16. We're mandated to give praise and honor and thanksgiving to God. And so often we view thanksgiving and gratitude as is something that is optional. Well, you know, they're just not a very thankful person. They're just kind of grumpy today. Some of you might remember the great theologian. Did I just turn my mic on? Oh, there it went. He wrote, he was the archbishop in New York, and he wrote years ago, and, and Joe, I'm sorry, but I remember New York because Buffalo's got a good team this year, and Minnesota's got a good team. We may, in fact, have two of those teams in the finals, and then, goodness, anyway, give thanks in all circumstances. J. Fulton Sheen wrote this, an interesting phenomena in children is that gratitude or thankfulness comes relatively late in their young lives. They almost have to be taught it, and if not, they grow up thinking that the world owes them a living. Has anyone kind of thought that lately? That there are an awful lot of people that thinks the world owes them. A friend once told me, and this is the the archbishop, I love this quote. A A friend once told me that she didn't want to force her son to say thank you unless he really felt like saying it. Wow. Can you imagine that in marriage if I'm only going to tell my wife I love her when I really feel like it? No offense, sometimes those are statements of faith. Oh, now you're all looking at me like you've never had a marriage problem. Wow, let's get real, people. I know my wife has never said she loves me unless she really means it. (laughs) And I know I've never done that. It's, Bishop, it's like if I tell him, if I tell him to say thank you when he doesn't feel thankful, I'm teaching him it's okay to be a hypocrite. That's not even close to what gratitude is and what it's about. Our feelings, listen to me carefully, our feelings really don't have anything to do with with the attitude of gratitude. 
They don't. Listen carefully, and if there's nothing else you jot down today, jot this down. Gratitude is not a feeling. It's an action. It's an act of our heart that we are commended and commanded by God himself to practice on a daily basis. Can you imagine if every time I just felt like saying thank you to God, that's the only time I ever said thank you? Boy, that's pretty shallow on my part. Now, granted, I have to tell you, it's, it's much easier to say thank you when things are going well. True? Like, you know, you got money in the bank, you're paying $2 for gas, you have eggs don't cost $5 a, a dozen, and if you buy the really good ones, it's $12 for, that's a dollar an egg for Pete's sake. My wife is finally reconsidering whether we should get chickens at our house. Yes. And coming from a Midwest farm boy, that's, that's good news. We don't say thank you to God just simply because we feel that way. King David said it this way, to you alone, Lord, do I sacrifice thanksgiving in my heart to you. He calls it a sacrifice. Now, how many of you know an attitude is more than just what we say? It's more than what we do. Sometimes it's just the unseen aspect of attitude is demonstrated in our physical posture. Wow, I think I've been kissed by an angel or by. Our attitude is perceived by people. If you're a businessman, you have customers. There was a survey why people quit your business. 1% is they die. <laughs> 3% they move away, 5% is they find other friendships where, you know, if you're buying whatever it is that they're selling. Number nine, or 9% is you get better prices, so let's go to Costco. 14% is product dissatisfaction, and 68 overwhelming percent of people leave your business because of your attitude. 68%. I wonder sometimes when we share the love of Jesus, is it because they don't like the product? Is it because they've moved away? Is it because they died? <laughs> or is it because of our attitude? Now, I have here, and I am not a scientist, so I'm going to do a very simple experiment today. A lot has to be said about your attitude here today by the way in which, can, can everybody see that? And you see that it is a, I think that's a ball jar, the kind my mom had when uh, growing up, she'd do green beans and applesauce and 
Let me ask you a question. Monty, is that half full or half empty? Huh? Half full. Anybody say it's half empty? Look at you all. You're lying through your teeth again. I can't get you. you, you Bryce, thank you for volunteering, son. I won't mention anybody in my family that looks at this as half empty. How many of you know that you're both right? It's half full, but it's also half empty, isn't it? Half full or half empty, it has to do with what? How you view it. Now, I'm going to do something here, and I hope this comes out okay. It might, and it might not. Now, I want to view half full as a positive thing. Is that fair enough? Because that's usually the people who see the glass, well, you know, we're going to hell in a handbasket, but man, we're going to take a lot of people with Jesus in the meantime, you know? Or there are those who, the world that's falling apart and we no longer, oh my gosh, we're going to die. <laughs> and it's a half-empty world. <laughs> now, I'm not quite sure how to do this, but I'm going to try it this way. Well, I got something here. I don't even know what this is. Well, that didn't do too much. No, not much at all. Let's try this. I might need more of this. This is not... Excuse me for a minute. Oh, now we got... Can you all see that? Now, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> obviously. But here's half empty, half full. Which one are you? Now, let me tell you something a little bit about human nature. There's a story in Numbers chapter 14 about some men who go into the promised land. And when they go in, they make a decision to give a report of the land. Ten of the men come back and it's half empty. We can't take the land. We're not going to be able to do it. Let's Don't waste our time. They're going to kill us. And then there's these two guys, Caleb and Joshua. Man, we can take this place. I know they're giants, but they're giants that can fall over. It has grapes that are bigger than, you know, on and on and on. And we all have somebody like this in our life. We'd like to tell them to zip it once in a while. We're going to come back to this in just a second. Let's look at our passage this morning given to us in... Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in his spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse 3, don't be selfish. 
don't try to impress others, which in the King James it says the word vainglory, which I love, because it means it's all about you. And what a word to today's culture, because it isn't all about me. My grandson, Graham, was uh, in the hospital a couple weeks ago for a full week, and he just went again last night. He's got a, a breathing issue that's going on where his breathing goes down to the 80th percentile. You know, and that's scary stuff for young mom and dad. And, and when I look at that, you know, I think, oh my goodness, those are the kinds of things that are humbling. Those are the kinds of things as a parent, you're not thinking of yourself when you rush that child to the hospital. You're thinking about their benefit, their love, their, you don't want to lose them. And so Paul is just asking this question to the Philippian church, do you care about each other that way? That if somebody's in trouble, you're there for them. If somebody is in need, you're there. If somebody needs prayer, you pray. If somebody needs food, you provide it. It says, be, don't look out for your own interests but also to the interests of others. And then in verse 5 it says this, you must have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Now, do you think that Jesus wanted us to have such high standards that we're going to look at, well, that's Jesus, I could never be like him. Well, guess what, folks? That's what he asked us to be like. It's him. When you signed up for this thing called a believer, a follower of Christ, you signed up for the whole enchilada that whoever wants to be great in my kingdom needs to be the servant of all. If you want to come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And he says this, let this attitude be in you that's in Christ Jesus. Now hear me carefully. His high standards were not given to us to frustrate us. And to go, I'll never be that good. But rather to reveal in us the areas of our life that need to be shaped and formed more like Christ. You see, we all have these hidden areas. We have things that we do and say that we're not proud of, those secret areas sometimes that we hide. And so God isn't the kind of God, Jesus isn't the Savior that says, hey, look, I want you to be frustrated. You're never going to measure up to who I am. No, it's like that coach saying, hey, I, I've got this Hall of Fame player that's coming to practice to talk to us today, not because we want to frustrate you and how slow you are and how awful you throw the ball to our quarterback, but rather that it inspires you to be all that God wants you to be in the way that he's designed you. And so he says, let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to or hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took on 
the humble position as a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, under earth, on earth, and every tongue confess and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this attitude be in you. I look at that, and although I know I don't measure up, I do know that's the standard that God's called me to. Now, when I look at this whole issue of attitude, let me go back to my jars here. I... uh, is, is Sherry still around? Do you have any extra, Sherry? Do you have any f- extra darkness? Can you grab me some darkness? Not, not literally, but, but it is paint. Um, you can get me a lot, in fact, because I've got a lot I've got to do up here. We've got a lot of sin that needs to be cleansed from our church. No, <laughs> Come on, I'm just having fun, right? Now, here are the no-name other ten guys who went into the promised land. Anybody know any of their names? I don't either. (laughs) Because they viewed it half empty. Now, this is Joshua. This is Caleb. Now, I think that the amazing thing that, let me just do a little experiment here. If I got any more in there, make it a little darker. Is it darker? No. Okay. Now, half empty, half full. If I pour this into here, Now, I wish it would go a little bit darker, but do you see what just happened to the half-full person? They just got tainted by the half-empty. And do you know that's exactly what happens to us in gratitude? Thank you. There's a whole lot of evil coming. I can feel it. Now... Got to remember what I'm doing here. Okay, we got to scoot this. This is what happens when you're with a bad attitude. Okay? Now, I'm just going to do a dab here. This is a bad attitude again. Now, what happens, and I wish I had some disappearing juice, but here's the good attitude. Now, it didn't eradicate it, but it made it better, didn't it? Now, I wish in some ways that the Holy Spirit would make it totally pure, which he does to us salvation-wise. But in our attitude, here's the point. 
a half full perspective and attitude when it comes into the person that's half empty it will cause it to dissipate maybe not completely but when you have a bad attitude come into a good attitude it messes it up big time it's contagious it spills over in the life of other people let's look at Philippians chapter 4 and then we're going to take this and apply it in for just a few moments here because Philippians chapter 4 gives to me I think one of the most important insights that we can have to what it means to walk in the attitude of Christ Jesus Paul is in prison He's chained to the Praetorian Guard, which was changed very often. He was facing death. He was at a place in his life that would be easy for him to give up. Because how many of you know it's easy to praise God when things go well? But when they're not going so well. Talk to the man who's facing a divorce. Talk to a parent who has just lost their daughter. Talk to someone who is going through difficulties and then take this passage, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Like, really? you got to be kidding me. God, you want me to be thankful in the face of that circumstance? Yes. And I'll tell you why. In the book of Philippians, as Paul is sitting there in jail, the first couple of verses in Paul chapter, or in Paul chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4, he's addressing a division or an argument that's going on between two ladies in the church. Now imagine that, people arguing at church. I've never seen such a thing. But what he wants them to do is he recognizes both of them and saying they're both important. But then right in the middle of it, as he's talking about wanting the elders of the church to minister to them, to bring reconciliation, he says this, rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's not just any word that is used there. The word that is used is the context, and forgive me because this is a visual you probably won't like to see, but it's, <laughs> you know, however you want to dance and spin in a circle, and Maddie, Quit laughing at me. I saw you. I got to check my heart blood pressure right now. It means to spin like a top. You got to be kidding me. You mean I can't just give a smile, flash a smile? Okay, I'm rejoicing, God. Yeah, praise you. I got to spin like a top and be foolish for you like King David was? Yeah, that's what it means. No. Look at the context. Paul is in prison, and he's giving advice. Daryl, I want you to rejoice in the Lord, whatever it is you're facing. Well, you didn't stop there. It's almost as if you can feel the sense, wait a minute. Yeah, I told you, Gerald, to rejoice in the Lord, but I want you to know something. 
I don't know what you're going through, but what I'm going through right now is I'm getting ready to be murdered and killed because I stood up for my faith. And you know what? It has cost me everything. It has cost me my home. It's cost me my family. It's cost me everything. And so I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. This isn't some just casual commentary. This is a life direction that grabs him by the very core of who he is and says, you know what, I've thought about it, and you're right, I could die, but I'm still going to get dizzy and spin like a top because it's for God. Now, when you see it in that context, you realize that the joy of the Lord is an amazing thing. Verse 5, and we're just going to touch on these verses here, because there's a pattern here, and I want you to see it. Rejoice in the Lord. What did he say? I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness... <sighs> Anybody have trouble with gentleness? I do. I'm not a very gentle person sometimes. Another word that could be used is moderation. Let it be evident to all. Now, I want to explain something to you that has been life-changing for me, and I don't use that expression. I can't even remember the last time I even said that, probably in the last 20 years. But do you ever have a scripture that means everything to you? only to discover you weren't living it in the context of that scripture. Let me, let me share this with you. Philippians 4.8, which we'll get to in just a moment, is my favorite verse of all time. And my wife and I used to use this together to realize that our attitude needs to be like Christ Jesus, and we recognize it to one another and to people at church. Sometimes it's not. Fair enough? So, my favorite verse, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. That's a great verse, isn't it? It's a great verse. But do you know something? It is a qualified verse that is based upon the previous two verses before and the two verses after. Me pulling that out of context, and now I'm confessing to my, on myself, to true and honest and just and pure and love and good report, that could be a self-help book. But is it born by the Spirit of God? What do I mean by that? You see, no different than when my kids or grandkids say, oh, I'm happy for the turkey. Or I'm happy for my new present. And we don't teach them the importance of thanksgiving then we've simply taken out a mental exercise of something that helps us but doesn't empower us by the Holy Spirit. 
And there's a difference. And I want you to see that this morning because there is a direct progression that is here that even though I knew it and I had it all memorized, I didn't see the connection. Let me share it with you. Rejoice. Then let your gentleness be made known. And then he says something in verse 6 that I find that at times has been applied perhaps in questionable ways within the church. Have you ever had anybody say, well, you know, Tammy, you really shouldn't worry about that, you know. That, that. And we've even taken it to the point where there was a great preacher named John Wesley a couple decades ago when, Joe, you were alive, um, back in the 1800s. But John Wesley said this, worry is a sin. That's not what the Bible says. It says, don't worry. It doesn't mean your worries a sin. And so I walk around, and if you've got warriors in your family, and I have five kids, and some of them are warriors, and some of them, hey, que sera, sera. I got another one. And so I look at worry, and I think, that's right, just don't worry. And so have you ever felt guilty because you're worried, John? You haven't? Good for you. I do. When I worry about something, when I worry about my grandson last night, catch the progression. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving in your heart. Let your requests be made known to God. So catch this. We're not to worry, but if we do worry, we have an outlet, we need to pray, and when we pray, we need to press in with thanksgiving so that we get to a place where the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and keep your mind at rest. Ah. <sighs> I'm not finished. Now, verse 8 is there. Catch this. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, I can't do that because I'm worrying about this. Well, if you're worried, you need to pray. And if you pray, you give thanksgiving in your heart and you keep praying until you have the peace of God. And when you have the peace of God, you'll have, it will guard your heart and your mind. It's like a sentinel that is walking at Buckingham Palace, taking care of you. And now my mind is where God wanted it to be. Verse 8. Finally. Not, oh, I'm thankful for this, this Christmas. No, finally. Not a verse that's pulled out and say, if you just think in your mind good thoughts and honest and true and lovely, a good report. No. When you worry... When that worry drives you to your knees and you pray until you can pray no longer, till you press in to the presence of God where he speaks to you through his word, through prayer, until the peace that passes all understanding keeps your heart and your mind at rest. Now, your mind is at rest 
whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure and lovely and good report, yada, 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 think on these things. I had it wrong. I was jumping to verse 8 before I went through verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, which oftentimes we do in the Scripture. It was a process of what God wanted to take me through to realize that, you know what, worry, and, and I'm telling you what, this set me free in my prayer life, I have to tell you. It just happened this year. And I literally go, wait a minute. I am worrying about it, and I've always felt guilty. Mark, when you were over in Africa so long, I'm sorry, brother, but I worried for you a little bit. The church has had this viewpoint that worries the sense. Oh, we shouldn't do that, so we don't talk about it. We don't pray about it. But yet, when I recognize, I go, you know what? Penny, you're going through a tough time. If I start worrying about it, that's okay. Because God has given me a prescription of how to deal with worry. Pray. And keep praying with thanksgiving in your heart until you get to a place that you experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. When I began to do that, I got to tell you, it, it, it changed my prayer. It changed the way I look at things. And then Paul says, whatever you've learned or received from me, put it into practice. Guess what? When you receive the peace of God that passes all understanding, and you begin to see those things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely, and you're seeing God working and weaving his way in the tapestry of life and relationships, you realize that, wow, I didn't even understand when I began this process that I indeed am thankful because those things in my life have happened in such a way and have transpired, I never saw that they were there for my benefit. And so we begin to thank God for his gifts. I pretty much mentioned the jars I'm going to come back again for a moment. I kind of poured most of them out. Cheers. It's kind of hard to know if it's the exact water because these are two different ball, ball jars. Which one? Hold on. Is this all the paint you had in your whole class? Where, where did Sherry go? Oh, man, she left us because I talked about the darkness. Which one are you? Half full? Half empty. This is half full and half empty. But your attitude determines what you're going to look like. Because how many of you know your attitude shows closing illustration you don't think that your attitude shows um, the other day we've had a, a dickens of a time with our refrigerator and uh, we've had choice warranty come out three or four times 
they put in four or five parts, and I just go, why didn't I, for all I spent on that warranty stuff, I should have just bought a new refrigerator. And uh, it's still not working right, but if you're born with a heritage like I have, which is a big nose, Italian, hey, how you doing? I don't want to know. This smeller is good. I can smell anything in our house. And I know if it was my grandson or the dog. <laughs> Immediately. I smelled something in our kitchen that I got to tell you was putrid. And I'm, I'm sniffing. I'm going around. I'm going into the garbages. I take the garbages out. I go out in the garage because sometimes our garage is towards the front of our house and you walk in the front door, that odoriferous thing that comes in on Sunday because our garbage day is on Monday. Sometimes it just kind of lingers there. I go, it's not lingering. I move through the house like a stealth bomber trying to find out where the enemy was. <laughs> hmm. I use deodorant today. I go around and I know it's in that refrigerator. I get the ice out. Maybe there's something in the ice. You know, sometimes your ice stinks. Your ice, not your eyes. That's not it. I know I'm smelling it. So finally, I start pulling stuff out. And it's not in the refrigerator. Until I pull all the drawers out. And guess what? Way back yonder, behind one of the shelves, was a little plastic bag of broccoli <laughs> that had sprung a leak and had this color of fluid coming from it. Guess what? That refrigerator had an attitude. <laughs> and I could smell it. Didn't have to hear it. Didn't have to verbalize it. But it was a bad attitude. We find that our attitudes at times can be contagious. I want to ask you just a couple of questions this morning as, as we close. The first one we already ask is, are you a half full or half empty type person? Next thing I want to ask you is what kind of reports come out of your mouth? Are they reports that build up, or are they negative reports? I'm not saying you have to be this type of person that doesn't acknowledge that truth or doesn't acknowledge that there are times that there are things that negatively happen in our life. But I'm talking about just the course of events of life. What is it about negative talk? People love it. They love it in churches. They love it in schools. They love it in the office place. They love it around the coffee table. And guess what? Negative talk is contagious. You don't think so? Try it tomorrow. Go to your place of work and start talking about your boss. Negative. Well, maybe not do that because we'd like you to 
keep your job. You know, the Bible says that all of Israel, now, this is several million people, folks. All of Israel in Hebrew means all, in totality. Because of those reports, all of Israel hated Caleb and Joshua. And guess what? They just were doing the right thing. But everybody else was negative. And for whatever reason, when we begin to be negative, it's like a row of dominoes, isn't it? Well, yeah, did you, did you hear about what Monty did with his bricks? Yeah, he, he didn't use full mortar. And you know what happened. Of course, the wall fell down. And, you know, we just go on and on. And by the way, Marty, uh, Monty has never used bad mortar that I'm aware of. He has a foundation in his marriage with that beautiful wife next to you that is rock solid. Um, we're mandated to be thankful. Did you know that? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I love verses like that because I didn't write that. He did. And so when I say, be thankful in all circumstances, uh, if you got a problem with it, it's not my problem. It's a problem you have with what he said. Now, I know a lot of it has to do with my delivery of how we present that to people. But we're mandated. We are called. We are challenged. We are commanded to be thankful. Another thing of gratitude, you might want to jot this down. Gratitude is not based on your circumstances. It's not. It's not based on our emotions. We give thanks in all circumstances. And by the way, and boy, if there wasn't a great series that Pastor Joey taught this last couple of months, how many of you know that Joseph was a man that was filled with gratitude? Guess what? Some bad things happened to him that shouldn't have happened. His gratitude wasn't based on his circumstances. His gratitude wasn't based on the fact he was thrown in jail. His gratitude was not based on the fact that his brothers hated him so much they sold him into slavery, wanted to kill him. And yet, he still was a grateful person who was thankful. By the way, do you know that by following this, it doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky-dory for you. In fact, the way I remember Jesus saying it, in this world you will have tribulation. Everybody's worried about, well, I'm worried about if I go through the tribulation. Really, how about the tribulation you have right now? Because Jesus said it's an ongoing thing, folks. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Because you like it when it's the doldrums? No, because he has overcome the world. And so, don't pat yourself on the back if you're like Potiphar, uh, like Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He did the right thing, but still got thrown in jail. Don't give yourself a, attaboy, I suffered for Christ today. You see, a non-believer's joy is not based upon the things of God. A non-believer's joy is based on things 
and possessions and what they have. It's produced on the outside. The joy of a believer is produced on the inside. And that's something no one can ever take from you. It's something that the Bible tells us in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. From a physiological standpoint, we've heard all kinds of studies that have been done that when you're happy, when you're joyful, when you have the right attitude, it relieves arthritic pain, it increases your stamina, ensures good sleep, it elevates your mood, your blood pressure decreases, it decreases asthmatic attacks, and your serotonin levels, which are off the charts for us today, start to go down. All because of our attitude. I'm going to ask if Pastor Joey would come up and close us out. But let me just throw a little uh, application at you. Can I do that? Because I'm always the kind of guy, okay, Lord, I, I get it. I'm supposed to be a thankful person. Everybody kind of get that? Our attitude's important, right? Okay. But if we stop there, we're missing the boat. And I love that sermon Pete had last week, Pastor Pete. There was two boats. There could have been three boats or four boats. How do we become people of affirmation? How do we become people who have good attitudes? I just wrote a couple things down that have worked in my life. One is I say thank you as often as I can. To him, remember the Old Testament? To the person of who God is, and also to his people, the New Testament word. So I try to say thanks as much as I can. I like to give people verbal affirmation or take the time as some of you did last week to write, man, these, I gotta tell you something, these are incredible. And not because of who they're centered on, it's because pastors don't get a trophy case. Now, I don't know how many rings the goat Tom Brady has in far as, what, he's got seven of them? And he's got and, you know, his Bill Belichick has coach of the year, he has conference, has super, has all this stuff in his, wherever his stuff is at. Do you know what my trophies are? My trophies are your hearts that have been changed to follow Jesus. And that's what this is. And dare I say it this way, this becomes a trophy because it's written from your heart to mine. And your words of affirmation can do the same for those around you. See, I learned something a long time ago. I, I was watching coming into church and I noticed uh, old people. Obviously, I didn't consider myself old at that time. And I usually don't until I look in the mirror. And they go, oh my gosh, who is that? I was looking at a couple people, and I found myself on Sunday sometimes, like maybe Sharon Gales comes up to me because she's like my sister. Sharon, come here for a second. And, and I see Sharon, and, and you know, Sharon, Sharon will punch me. She's stronger than me. But sometimes I just need to go like this and get a hug from her. You know why? 
because that might be the only physical touch that Sharon has all week. You know what the Lord said to me? Walk a little slower, Greg. Don't be in a hurry to get out the door. Don't be in a hurry to end that conversation. Give that person a hug or spend time with them. Hold their hand or one other, which I found is just as important depending on your love language. I'm a touch person. How many of you know that? Uh, if you give me a hug, I'm going to hug you. I'll probably wrestle you down and break your back. Joey, not at all, except to the girls in his life. Joey's like, hey, brother, how are you? It's nice to see you. Not me, man. I'm a full frontal embracer. But guess what? Some of you aren't. But some of you have the ability to affirm that person with your words the way we do with that hug. You want to start being a person of gratitude? Then start saying thank you when and wherever you can. Start embracing people. Start giving to people. Start thinking of them more. Start listening to them. Linger with them. Linger in God's word. And before you know it, Wow, my attitude's a lot better. My attitude's a lot better. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.